This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Z Prime On the Grid. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Aaron Hardick is out this week, uh, but I am joined by someone pretty cool to talk to regardless. Uh, Joining me today is Daniel Strasberger, who was the campaign manager for the Harvard Forward campaign and is currently co-founder and board member of the boarding school in Bluebonnet Data. Danielle, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. We're happy to have you. Uh, so tell us a bit about what Harvard Forward was, how it came about, and maybe a little bit about yourself as well. Yeah, great. So um, I graduated from Harvard in 2018. Recently, as an alum of the school, started getting more involved with questions about what is Harvard doing as a university to address climate change and to be part of the response to taking um, taking more action in the face of the climate crisis. And out of this concern about Harvard's, out of what we view as Harvard's failure to respond with the type of urgency that students and alumni and faculty want to see, we created and launched Harvard Forward. So a little bit of background on how Harvard University works from its governance perspective is Harvard has a board of overseers, which is kind of like what other universities or colleges might have as a board of trustees that's composed entirely of alumni and elected by alumni. So what we did with Harvard Forward is we put together a slate of candidates, so five recent alumni who care about issues around climate and increasing um, the voices of younger alumni in Harvard's governance, and we ran them for the board uh, with a full campaign. We had a policy uh, platform around climate issues and around inclusive governance. We had to get close to 3,000 signatures just to get those um, candidates on the ballot, and then we ran a campaign for the election period, which was this past summer, to try to get alumni to vote for these candidates who were somewhat untraditional candidates and that they weren't the ones who were nominated by the school. They were nominated by their fellow alumni via petition process. And at the end of the election period, three of our candidates were elected out of the five um, who were picked this year to join that board, which was a huge success and very historic. They're the first petition candidates to be elected since 1989. So it was very exciting. That is very exciting. So wait, when you're talking about, um, you know, when you're talking about about climate issues, what what climate issues are pertinent for running Harvard exactly? Great question. So when it comes to university, there's so many different elements that intersect with the, the climate crisis. And that was a big part of Harvard Forward's approach was to try to think really holistically about what does it mean for higher education, um, places of higher education to have leadership in climate crisis. That's something we talked about a lot, this theme of leadership. And for us, when we're talking about Harvard, that kind of breaks down into a couple different categories. One being what Harvard is doing on campus. So on campus sustainability, you know, what are our carbon footprint of the campus? What are the options in the dining hall around food sustainability, those type of things. Uh, but then the two other ones that were really big for us was, you know, what's Harvard doing with its finances? Harvard has one of the largest academic um, endowments in the world. It is over $40 billion. And there's been a big movement for almost a decade now to get Harvard to divest from the fossil fuel industry. So that was a big element. 
And then lastly, Harvard as a place of research and education has a role to play in, in shifting priorities towards focusing on the climate crisis. So what are we teaching in our classrooms to the students who are going through Harvard? What is in the curriculum around climate issues? And then what is the research agenda for the school? Are we putting resources and time and support into researching the future solutions that we need to um, combat climate change? So uh, when, so then what, how did you go about looking for, uh, sorry, let me change that. So then how did you uh, end up deciding uh, what kinds of candidates you wanted to put forward then? I mean, obviously you want ones that, you know, hold the, hold the positions you want, but like, what are you looking for to help maximize the chances of actually seeing the progress you want to see? So I know this, uh, this podcast and Z prime is more, more interested on the, the energy, the climate side of the Harvard forward campaign. But when we went about the candidate selection process, a big part of it was about trying to make our governance um, more representative of the Harvard alumni community. So if you think of the issues that students and alumni and faculty are concerned about, it's clearly been for years, people are really worried about climate change. And we've seen that through student activism, faculty votes, um, and this question of, you know, why isn't the university taking more urgent action on these issues? So when we put together our slate, we looked for people who, yes, had ties to um, the climate elements of the platform, but also people who came from different backgrounds, who graduated more recently than the than the current Board of Overseer members, who were able to speak to different alumni experiences. So on the, on the slate of five, we had um, a few people who were very specifically tied to climate. So someone who had a, bit, a climate activism background, someone who works at the EPA now and the Environmental Protection Agency and went to the Harvard School of Public Health. So looking at environmental health impacts. Um, we had a civil rights lawyer who was looking more at the issues of what are we thinking about environmental law and how do we you know, care about uh, protecting people? And so we, it was a mix of different backgrounds. And we thought that together it helped bring perspectives to the board that were, were lacking in the, in the traditional type of people who sat on that board. Cool. So are there any like milestones or uh, accountability metrics that you're sort of looking at um, to determine, um, to, you know, to determine whether or not uh, the school is going to be on the right track to um, to accomplish the to accomplish long term goals in in these on these important issues? So in terms of short term goals, it's it's a bit tough because there's so much um, secrecy in some ways around what's happening inside the internal discussions happening at Harvard. So even though three of the Harvard Ford candidates were elected, now that they sit on the board, they're pretty limited in what they can publicly discuss because there's all sorts of you know, uh, confidentiality agreements and things around what those internal discussions are. So we, it's, it's hard as, you know, just a, another alum to, to have insight into what the people who are making decisions are, are talking about. But our hope is that the candidates that were elected who ran on this platform will be able to advocate. The board has 30 
people on it, of 30 alumni on it. So they're not going to be able to walk in and change things immediately. But hopefully since alumni have elected them, it shows to the leadership at Harvard, it shows a president, it shows the Harvard Corporation who directly controls the endowment, that these are issues that the Harvard community cares about. And then when it comes to the long term, we're looking at the same type of benchmarks, I think, that climate activists and climate concerned people are looking at, which is when are you committing to being carbon neutral? When are you committing to being fossil fuel free? When are you committing to have the endowment divested? And there's a lot of push and pull there where Harvard is already making a lot of commitments on these issues, which is great. I mean, Harvard is already doing a lot of things, but the concern is, is it doing it fast enough? Is it doing it with enough urgency? Because when we look at what the scientists are saying about the time span to make a significant impact on these issues, uh, it has to be happening faster. So um, Harvard, I think, had made a commitment to have its endowment be carbon neutral by 2050. And that's just not not good enough if we're trying to make the impact that we need to prevent um, catastrophic climate changes. I'm sure there are plenty of other students nationwide that are also concerned about climate change and want to be able to help uh, institute institute change at that's at, at, that, at that level within, you know, with, with the levers of power that they have. So how can concerned students uh, or people in, in alumni associations or people that, you know, work with it, work within the colleg- collegiate systems, how can they help their colleges push for change like you did at Harvard? So you're right in that there are tons of people out there who are already working on these issues on different campuses around the world. And what we were doing was really inspired by some of the successes that have already come about through the divestment movement on other campuses, through student-led sustainability movements. So my answer to that question... And do you have any good examples? Up, sorry sorry to cut you off, but do you have any good examples? So it seems like every, every couple of months now that there's another school that announces that they are divesting from the fossil fuel industry so right before we launched Harvard Ford last November, um, a big one was the University of California system said that they were divesting their their endowment and their pension fund from the fossil fuel industry, which is a huge sum of money. Those two things together, their, their pension and their endowment um, is way more than Harvard's endowment. So that shows that it's not a question of how, oh, is it too much, too much money to be able to divest? It can't be done. And then you know, schools like Middlebury were way ahead of the curve on these issues. And now you have Oxford and Cambridge in the past year just said that they were going to divest as well. And a lot of those um, came around through student and staff, sorry, student and faculty activism, where faculty were taking votes on on the school divesting and students were having protests and referendum and and organizing to show that there were issues that they cared about. And I, th- and I think something that's been really successful at other schools is looking at what, what are the stated missions of the university or of the college? What are the goals? And if, if you're at a place of higher education where they're talking about preparing the next generation of leaders or helping the world be a better place, it is really hard to reconcile those stated goals with continuing to contribute to climate change, that if you're talking about the future and, and wanting wanting to create leaders and wanting to contribute to education and research, it is really hard to be true to that while also actively contributing to the destruction of, of the world. So I would say 
student activism, whatever that looks like in different forms, making it clear that these are issues that care, um, the students care about, that the communities care about, and figuring out what levers there are to, to pull about making change. So that's going to look different on every campus. Maybe in some places, there are student representatives that sit on the board of trustees or sit in leadership positions. Maybe there are alumni leaders or presidents or chancellors that have office hours that you can visit or write to. Um, so whatever exists to try to try to have your voices heard and the people that actually have specific powers like faculty and some in some education um, establishments have a lot of direct power as to what the direction the university goes in. So working with faculty, working with alumni, that kind of collaboration across different parts of the community. Are there any any big lessons uh, you learned through the organization process that could maybe help people? Avoid pit, avoid pitfalls or uh, keep keep it in front of mind when starting out on endeavors like this. Lessons learned. Many many things were learned over this this past year. But one that comes to mind is whenever you're organizing for change, whenever you're trying to create or build for a better future, what can often be a roadblock is that there are a lot of different views of what that future should look like and a lot of different ideas about the best strategies for, for getting there. And in some weird, perverse way, to some degree, the fact that climate change is such a massive issue and will affect every, every part of life means that there are many different ways of approaching it. It's almost a good thing. Like there's no part of, of our life that won't be impacted by climate change. So that means you can approach it from a lot of different ways. You can look at it from a research perspective. You can look at it from a lifestyle perspective. You can look at it from a financial perspective. If we're talking about education and curriculum, it applies to almost everywhere. If you're not just climate science, but how are you know the engineers and the architects of the future going to prepare for creating a more sustainable world? How are the people at the graduate school of education going to work it into their curriculum for how you discuss about teaching about climate change, how are people at the public health and the medical schools going to think about the health impacts of environmental change. Um, So there's so many different ways to get at the problem, which is great, but it can mean that it can sometimes be a barrier to building people power if you have a bunch of different groups who are all approaching it in their little silos from their different perspectives. So a big part of Harvard Forward and a big lesson learned was just making those connections, working with those other groups, figuring out what the big picture is and agreeing on that we're all kind of working on the same thing. And if we have different short-term strategies, that's okay, but we do need to work together and and have those channels of communication and agree on that this is something that matters. Um, so at the end of the day, Harvard Ford went about it from a very campaign-driven perspective. We were trying to win votes in an election. Student activists are doing more things that are about hosting protests on campus. Faculties are putting out white papers and taking votes. And those are all different strategies, but we can work together to try to make change. It's a really interesting notion, the idea that you're bringing together the different stakeholders by um, finding, you know, finding the finding the common goals and then utilizing um and then utilizing their different capability, the different capabilities of X group versus Y group, uh, to, you know, to message in their own in their own specific way, which uh, I think is something that um, people in our industry util- utilize for all sorts of for all sorts of projects that, uh, especially like public works projects um, that have to do with <laughs> that have to do that have to do with 
that had to do with addressing climate change, like like smart and smart city stuff as well. So mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of uh, transferable, uh, not transferable. I think that I think that that's a really good uh, playbook for just public public outreach from different with different stakeholders that have one com one common goal or that have some common goals but also splintering goals as well. I I think that method of stay of staying focused while also utilizing lots of people's strengths is uh that's a that's a good playbook yeah and it, and it can sometimes be tough i think it's i think it's a challenge that the climate movement in general faces is that when you just talk about climate change writ large it can be so overwhelming because it is such a massive issue and you, you hear people talking about just being paralyzed by you know what what can i do and and is it is it even worth trying to do anything? Can anyone even make an impact when you're thinking about just yourself and your individual activities? Um, so I think breaking it down not only is a strategic advantage as you get groups to work on where their where their strengths are, but it's also it makes it more manageable. And that's part of why I got into this and put so much time and effort into founding and, and helping run Harvard Forward was I had a lot of that personal climate anxiety and, and concern about, well, am I doing enough? Can I do anything? And just the the fact that I was able to contribute to Harvard Ford, which in the grand scheme of things is a very, you know, it's a very specific project, a specific space that's, you know, there's a climate movement within Harvard University's community. It wasn't out there changing federal policy or or anything like that, but it felt really good and it felt it gave me hope and gave me optimism to get to connect with other people and try to make a tangible impact in, in the realms where I can, where I can do that. So I think when I talk to people who are one or like, Oh, what should we do? How do I make a change? I love thinking about like, where am I uniquely positioned? What skills do I have? What, what communities or do I have access to what, what levers can I pull that other people might not be able to pull to do a little bit like you don't have to solve it all by yourself but if we all kind of do what we can do hopefully it will amount and add up to, to bigger change i i said at the top of the episode that uh since harvard forward uh you moved on to new um project the boarding school blue bonnet blue bonnet data tell it tell, tell me a bit about what what your sort of next steps are yeah so harvard forward the 2020 edition of harvard forward is done that election passed uh, we actually already are starting to look for candidates for the 2021 election because we plan on on running uh, petition candidates again for the next next cycle. So that is ongoing, but I'm no longer involved as in a full time capacity as campaign manager. So I've moved on to working on two other projects that I'm really excited about, one which came directly out of the Harvard Ford project. So when we when we started working on Harvard Ford and we started learning so much about this type of organizing and about board governance is a very, a very specific topic um, of higher education board governance, but it seemed like a really exciting way, a new strategy that we haven't seen before, as far as I'm aware, in, in the higher education movements is, um, is trying to take the climate advocacy and, and do that through board governance. So we created the boarding school, um, the, the, the other co-founder of Harvard Ford and I, with some other people, launched the boarding school, which is specifically trying to get more young people on boards in general. So not just higher education, but that's where we're, we're starting with. So we've already launched 
um, helped launch Yale Forward at Yale with a similar climate-focused movement there. And they're trying to get a candidate onto Yale's board to help push for greater climate action. But beyond even just climate, um, we think it's really important to have the next generation of people be involved in the decision-making that's happening in in universities and in corporations and nonprofits, because the decisions that are being made by these boards are having long-term impacts. They're going to affect these these younger people who are, you know, living with the um, the world that we're creating. So, trying to get more young people on the board, support them, and give them what they need to be good board members to help um, make decisions. Because we think that organizations can govern better if they have a whole range of perspectives, including younger perspectives. So that's um, one project which we're very excited about, and it's just getting up and uh, getting started. And then the other thing that I'm working on a lot, especially with the upcoming November elections just around the corner, has been Blue Bonnet Data, which is similar to Harvard Forward in that it's you know people-focused. It's about how do we build people power, but that specifically has been a nonprofit that I helped found, which is getting young people with with technical skills people who know how to code, people who know how to do data analysis, and helping train them and place them um, to do volunteer data work with progressive campaigns up and down the ballot. So basically, a lot of campaigns can't afford to hire a data um, analyst. But if you think about how much data is making an impact on elections today, about how critical it is to run a good campaign, we're trying to help get them the people power that they need while also giving people who want to make a difference, uh, an avenue to use their specific skill set. So again, that kind of where you're uniquely positioned. If you know how to do data analysis, that's a really important skill that people need. So helping connect um, those two sides together. Well, Danielle, I think uh, that's, I, I think the, I think, you know, the leadership you, you've shown at this level uh, is very, it, 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 it's very inspiring for someone like me who is a perpetual pessimist, especially when it especially when it comes to this issue. Um, but like you're, uh, you know, you're making a difference out there, uh, and I appreciate that. So I've got one, I've got one last question, kind of just shifting away. Uh, I'm because I've personally uh, been feeling like more and more stressed as the as the weather as the weather starts to turn. And the COVID numbers start to look worse. So I'm just curious, what's uh, what's something you're doing uh, for for yourself that is just keeping you uh, keeping your keeping your spirits up, keeping you keeping you healthy and motivated while while we're you know where we are. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, um, I definitely feel you on the the stress and the. It's it's been a challenging, challenging year in a lot of regards when it comes to keeping spirits high. I would say in general for me, and this is especially true, like on when you're working on a campaign, it's 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 really hard to do good self care because everything's on a such a strict timeline, and it's a it's hard to feel like every moment if you're not spending every moment trying to to win the election or trying to fight climate change, is it are you not doing your part? Um, so trying to fight that mentality of having to be always, always, always doing everything you can and making time to to take care of yourself, which I know is a bit of a cliche, but recognizing that like even if it's strategic, if you completely burn out and get so down and and exhausted that you can no longer 
be positive and, and take action, then you're not you're not helping anyone. So I've been really trying to lean into the the silver linings of living in a a lockdown world, which for me, I'm I'm in Austin and this is where I'm where I grew up and this is where my family is. So I've spent a lot more time with my with my parents and my my siblings than I normally do because we're normally all on the road for our various jobs and and work. So all that kind of being in the same place has been really nice. So you know, we've started playing more more board games and even just embracing the Zoom life that we live in of of having virtual game nights or cocktail hours with friends who I don't normally see because they live in different cities and we wouldn't normally do that type of virtual gatherings. But now that we're all virtual all the time, we've been able to. So yeah, just trying to en- embrace the silver linings, making time to relax and do things that are fun and not thinking about existential crises has been a big part of it. So what's your favorite board game? I just recently played um, Settlers of Catan for my first time. So oh, I, I've, yeah, I know I was late, late coming and I have friends who love it, but we, we just started playing it as a family, which obviously sometimes leads to some heated, heated moments within the family. But I think on the whole, it's been, been really fun. So Settlers of Catan and then. I've always loved uh, code names. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one, but I am familiar with I am familiar with code names. Uh, I'm definitely more familiar with with Settlers of Catan because I, I was in col I was in college when it became all the rage for people in college, and so <laughs> I've I've definitely played my fair share of it. Uh, always always recommended. They're they're not they're not sponsoring. They're not paying me to say that. That one's free. Uh, well, Danielle, I, I can't thank you enough for being on today uh, and talking talking about uh, about about your efforts, and um, we're, we're really excited to see what you do going forward, and excited to see what uh, other what other uh, in, inspired students around students and alumni around the climate policy at their universities. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Dylan. It was great to chat. And uh, for the rest of you, as always, you can find our research and media at cprime.com. You can find us on social media at D.Y. Lockwood, at Aaron Hardick, at cprime underscore research. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>